Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 110. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we're going back to high school. We're going to Halloween Town High. Are you ready to go to Halloween Town High? Only if the Pumpkin King is there. Yes, 2004's, well, I guess it was their big Disney Channel Halloween movie. I mean, this was the third installment. It was meant to be the finale. Of course, there is one more. I'm wondering if when we discuss next week's movie, we get some information as to why that was. But this was meant to be the epic finale of the Halloween Town series. And we were sort of... Okay, so for those who haven't caught up with our reviews yet, me, big fan of Halloween Town. You, not so much. I think we were both sort of in the middle with the second one, although I think you disliked the second one far more uh, than you disliked the first one. Spoiler alert. I dislike all of them. In fact, I was really hoping that we would be able to do some bonus content with these episodes and possibly get an interview because the cast is actually not that hard to track down. And then Sean pointed out that that was never, ever going to happen because I've trashed the movies. Yes. Now, does this movie deserve being trashed by Jackie? Will I be as harsh with it as I was to... Uh, the second movie, Calabar's Revenge. We're going to find out right now. Following the opening of the portal last Halloween, Marnie is summoned by the Halloween Town Council to explain herself. She explains that she bridged the two worlds peacefully and is also conducting a quote-unquote study abroad with some of the high schoolers from Halloween Town. They're going to come over to the mortal realm and they're going to attend high school with Marnie. The council is hesitant to allow this due to the legend of the Knights of the Iron Dagger who seek to destroy all things magic. But Marnie accidentally bets all of the Cromwell magic that her plan will work. The council accepts, and the students arrive. It was, well, I'll bet you all of my magic it works, and they literally took her up on it. Aggie gets a job as a substitute teacher in order to be present at the school should trouble arise, and we meet Cody, a new kid in school who seems to have a crush on Marnie. Aggie isn't successful as a teacher, but continues to be given chances after Principal Flanagan takes a romantic interest in her. She also sets up a hideout for the Halloween Town students in a magic locker. The students find it hard adapting to life in the real world, and after a run-in with a knight of the Iron Dagger at the mall, their true identities are revealed at least to some, not quite to everybody just yet. One of the students, Cassie, goes missing following a break-in at their hideout. Aggie believes that Cody is behind all of the trouble, which causes tension between herself and Marnie, who suspects that Flanagan is in fact the knight. And it turns out that Marnie is right and that Flanagan is the last knight in the order. We also learn that Edgar Dalloway, 
whom is the head of the council and father to one of the quote-unquote exchange students, is working with Flanagan to sabotage Marnie's project and keep the portal closed. The school puts on a Halloween carnival, and Gwen goes in search of Cassie, the missing student. At the carnival, Dalloway unleashes an assault of magic on the students, and Flanagan leads an angry mob against the students from Halloween Town. Cody does everything he can to show the mob how cruel and unaccepting they have been, leading the students from Halloween Town to expose their true identities to everyone, and they are soon accepted. Flanagan gives up his knighthood and accepts Aggie. Dalloway takes the Cromwell's magic because technically Marnie's plan had failed. And he tries to pin some of his actions on his son, Ethan, but Gwen exposes him to the council, who then returns the magic to the Cromwells and imprisons Edgar in a witch's glass. The portal opens and the children from Halloween Town arrive to partake in the carnival with the children from the human realm and Marnie and Cody fly off on her broom and share a kiss. So this was meant to be the epic conclusion to the Halloween Town saga. Thoughts? (laughs) I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil my entire review of the movie, although I have a feeling our listeners are going to know what it is, and I've already said it, but um, it's interesting that this was supposed to be the conclusion, and instead of focusing on Marnie's year of training and doing it after high school and focusing on the relationship that she's developed with her grandmother over the past couple of years and really seeing her hone all of her skills, they flipped the script and they brought Halloween town into the real world and they brought it to us. Um, So, and now we've never seen what is actually the conclusion. So I'm wondering if that is what they focus on, but I'm just surprised they didn't follow through with what was planted in the first one. Yeah. Well, I think I think there is a success in this movie. And I think the success, because this came out in 2004. This film, I think, serves as a coming-of-age movie for Marnie, which I agree with you um, without spoiling too much of my review. Was it the right choice for them to make, or should they have stuck with her training? What do I would have? What do I think would have made the better movie? I'll say at the end. Yeah, we'll we'll put a pin in that for now. But this screams we're trying to grow with the audience, and that's the success. I like the fact that Disney took the time to realize that you have you know. Let's say the first movie came out in nineteen ninety eight. I believe this is now 2004, so six years later. So a kid who was, say, 11 or 12 years old when the first movie came out, they're now high school seniors. Right. So you're trying to keep them engaged. You're trying to keep them involved. You're trying to keep them interested. I like the fact that in terms of tone and in terms of story, the movie does grow with what was its target audience when the first one came out. What I like, as cheesy as it may seem, is this voiceover that it starts off with. Yes. Um, 
it reminds me of the Monster Mash. It reminds me of Thriller. Um, and it kind of hooked me right away because it also reminded me of Silver Shamrock. And I was thinking, all right, this is it. Halloween Town 3 is going to be my jam because a lot of people don't like Silver Shamrock, but we do. So I thought this was going to be like the offbeat movie so here's that the thing. I was able to relate to. I like Season of the Witch when it is not considered to be a part of the Halloween series. Like, like I know they were trying to do this anthology thing where it wasn't just Michael Myers and it failed. If I don't look at that movie as Halloween 3 Season of the Witch and I just look, that, look at that movie as Season of the Witch, it's a much better film. Which I know does not seem to make any sort of sense, but if you've never seen it and you're a big fan of the of the franchise with Michael Myers, go back and watch it and just pretend it's not a part, part of, of the that. franchise. And I and it is a much better movie. So I can see where you were thinking the same thing was going to happen here. It was my hope. It was your hope. Did you hope that um, Gwen and Aggie would have worked out their differences by now because they're bickering again? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I was really hoping that they weren't going to keep defaulting to that, but I actually think without getting too far ahead, they did manage to bring it full circle. Yes, I think so as well. What I really don't like is that they start off bickering and it's not like an ongoing bit throughout this entire movie what bothers me is that marnie starts bickering with her grandmother yes um upon first viewing i did not like that because i i have always found the relationship between aggie and marnie to be so charming and endearing yes and how do you ever dispute debbie reynolds on anything well Here's the thing. I thought that the first time I watched it. When I watched the movie a second time, I started to see a lot of Gwen in Marnie. And I actually really liked that transition for her. Because I felt like you were starting to bridge Marnie and Gwen where you had not ever really bridged them before. I see your point, but I'm still predisposed to hate it because of what they did with Gilmore Girls once Rory started drinking Emily's juice and completely went against Lorelai. Those are the lost years. I have, well, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I know you don't. But a I'll, lot of our listeners will. I'll go so with it, I that's that's what this reminded me of was was the Gilmore Girls story arc. See, here's the thing though with Marnie, she bickers with Aggie, but she's very funny about it as well. Um I, I think that when Marnie was and I said it when we reviewed the first movie, when Artie when um Marnie is a smart Alec, she's actually very funny. And some of the jabs that she throws at Gwen in the first movie are very funny. And I felt like even though she started acting like Gwen, which I think in terms of her lineage sort of makes sense, they didn't get so far removed to the point that it was a little tongue-in-cheek. So I didn't feel like we were losing Marnie completely. Right, I'll give you that. Especially because in the first scene, we've jumped ahead a little bit. Let's let's dial it yeah. back. 
um, you know, we see that the cast is is visibly growing up. Yes. Um, but I feel like they did a great job of making them grow together, making the characters grow. Um, that first scene, the way that it plays out, I think the the dialogue is all age appropriate and you could see that there's you know still the sibling rivalry with Dylan but they brought it up to speed to fit a high school movie yes um I definitely agree with you there these feel like the same characters they don't feel so far removed where you feel like you're seeing something totally different and totally unique right so Marnie gets pulled in to the council I really like a lot of what they do here. I dislike some of what they do here. The things I don't like about this are the same things that have been the bugaboo with this franchise, really going back to the first movie. And that would be big misses with both makeup and practical effects. And story. I was lost in the first five minutes. So I don't hate the storyline where Marnie wants to do this student uh, student exchange program because she's trying to bridge the two worlds. She's trying to show the people of Halloween Town that the humans aren't all that bad. That's so on brand for Marnie. It's perfect. The problem is that they rush into it. Exactly. We don't know who this council is. We know that they're upset that Marnie opened the portal. We don't know exactly how long she's been pitching this project. We don't know exactly why they hate it so much. We have no idea who the Knights of the Iron Dagger are. Too much backstory, too much gets thrown at you way too fast that we have absolutely no reference to before this scene kicks off. Well, they did address the knights in the opening voiceover, but this is a perfect example. It's what has lost me in almost every single film. It's another good idea and good setup that gets squandered with too much going on. Um, I agree with you. I think the proposal makes total sense. It's on brand for the character. I believe it's something that she would want to do because... You know, that is the perfect capstone for her, really, because when we first meet Marnie, she loves Halloween and she doesn't understand why her mother doesn't. She wants to embrace the holiday. And as we've seen her grow up, it's about embracing what makes you unique. In her case, it is her powers. So here she's trying to take that one step further and make the people of Halloween Town accepted in, so that they don't have to live in hiding anymore. So I think that's wonderful. And it sends, you know, bigger pitch, bigger picture, it sends a good message. Yes. Um, but what bothers me is that it's completely unclear as to whether or not this project and this proposal is to make up for opening the portal and smooth it over, or if this is her pitch and this is what's going to be her study for when she does the year with her grandma. And maybe I'm just stuck on that a little bit. Um, But they really don't address it either way. No, they never do. Um, And like I said, the pumpkin head mask is as bad a mask as you've seen in any of these movies. Um, 
the 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 one um, monster who has multiple hands. It's so clear that it is puppetry. Now I can live with that over bad CGI, but it does look really corny and cheesy and hokey. I like the idea of it. He yeah. kind of reminds me of the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland brought to life. So I thought that was cool, but yeah, not well done. And the pumpkin, the pumpkin in Return to Oz, which was like 1985. Looks a million times better than this mask does. Yeah. And I also, I mean, I understand they had to raise the stakes a little bit, but you can't tell me in a monster world or a human world that you haven't heard the phrase, well, I'd bet, as a very common phrase. So for them to take it and run with it literally, I thought was a cheap way and i've never said and i've never said cheap about this franchise before and i will go so far as to say i think it was a cheap way of adding drama to the story i actually disagree with you and i that is the one thing that i really do like here what is happening (laughs) now i know um i think it's perfect for a kid's movie i think it's a clever device to use as a plot point. Um, And I think that you do have to pay really close attention because it does plant your villain because he was so keen to take away the Cromwell power. Right. And obviously you're not going to catch that the first time you watch the movie. You just think this is somebody jumping at an opportunity to cast a punishment on Marnie Really, you think they're just punishing her for opening the portal, not knowing that there's obviously a bigger picture in mind. No, I certainly didn't catch it the first time. I did the second time. I mean, you do, because in the next scene, she she is talking about it, and her grandma's saying, I can't believe you bet our powers. So that I picked up on the first time, but I didn't realize how cleverly it is planted until our second viewing, partially because I was so distracted still trying to figure out whether or not she has to appear before the can- the council as a punishment or as a pitch. Right. And that never really does get explained. What bothers me, too, is that apparently they do establish that it's a pitch, but again, it, it's all kind of jumbled together. But it's still a proposal, and yet they already have kids committed to the program. Right. Because by the next day, these kids are coming. Right. They've already figured out who's going. It seems like, it seems like you've already moved way too far into this for what is really just a concept. Right. Can we talk about the first day of school? Did you have anything else on the council, or can we move on to the first day of school here? No, let's move on to the first day of school. Uh, I don't like Aggie as a teacher. I don't understand Aggie as a teacher. I don't understand how she's going. I mean, she basically just says, I'm going to go get a job. It's the first day of school. You do not walk in on the first day of school as a teacher looking for a job. We don't know why they hired her. What qualifications she has. With none of this. I didn't even know that she was a sub. I mean, I, I you pick up on it because she goes from science to history. So she's teaching all of the different subjects. But I didn't even... Did they say substitute? Did I just completely miss that? I don't remember if they said it or not. I don't recall. I would have honestly preferred, like, if she had gotten a job 
in the cafeteria or something and just managed to like pop in and out of Marnie's day. Um, especially because knowing which cafeteria it is, I'm really surprised they didn't utilize it more. Yeah. If this school looks familiar at all, it's because it is in fact home of the wildcats. Yeah. And you actually have a couple of wildcats in this movie. You have Lucas Grabeel as Ethan, and you have Alyssa Rulin as Natalie, obviously both from High School Musical. These kids have probably spent more time in this school in Utah than they did in actual high school. Or that most kids who actually attended that school in Utah <laughs> spent yeah. there. Um, so you get them right away. Yes, the school is familiar. Um, and then you get introduced to Cody who is played by Finn Wittrock, who has had quite a career for himself. And for the rest of this um, review, I'm just going to refer to him as Dandy because <laughs> he, to me, he is just Dandy from American Horror Story to the point where when I see him in other movies, uh, like uh, Unbro uh, what was it? Unbroken or Unbreakable or whatever that was, the, the, the movie, um, uh, the... the, the uh, the fighter pilot that crashed. Oh. I think Unbreakable was the name of the movie. And he's in that. And I think in that movie, I called him Dandy. I think Unbreakable, wasn't that an Angelina Jolie I don't know. There's, it's either Unbreakable or Unbroken or whatever. It's something to that effect. And I'm, I, don't, I honestly don't care to look into it. I just know it's something like that. But in that, movie, in that movie, he's Dandy. In this movie, he's Dandy. It's just what he is to me. I was hoping... Once he came in, that this that the Halloween Town franchise was really going to take a left, and they were going to go straight horror. Uh, well, I didn't know. No, no. <laughs> a girl can hope. I didn't think that that was actually going to happen, but you can hope, but no. I don't think anybody really thought that that was going to happen on the Disney Channel in two thousand four. You know what I'm starting to realize my issue with this movie is. Please enlighten us. <laughs> Aside from story, and I think this is what stops me from enjoying it to the fullest. I wish it was more like Sabrina. That's a valid argument. Because for a Disney Channel movie, and I'm not saying that because if if they went too much like Sabrina, it would have ripped it off too much. But we don't really see her using her powers for th they start to tiptoe into it in this one a little bit and i get she's learning how to hone them but like anytime she has ever used these powers it's for the purpose of defeating evil she's never used them for fun which i i, I guess is because that was something that gwen was always so dead set against right but this is the first film, and again, I think it has to do with the high school thing where we start to see her take advantage, where she pushes the clock forward when she's in class, and I just wish we would have seen a little bit more of that. Yeah, I, I would have liked to see that as well. Instead, you get Aggie using magic in a science class, scaring a child into paying attention in class, and how she did not send the entire room screaming into the hallway i don't quite understand oh she beetlejuiced and it was amazing oh i liked it don't get me wrong it was funny it's a it's especially funny to see that happen to debbie reynolds yeah um but 
for somebody that's trying to keep a low profile, and and, and you want to talk about characters that have great character arcs that are well-developed, except this is a character that's well-developed, except she it doesn't seem like she will ever understand that there are time and place for magic, that she just thinks she can do it all of the time, and that she's entitled to it. I like that she thinks that she's entitled to it. And again, I wish that was where they played with the idea a little bit more of her impeding on Mar- Marnie's day. You know, popping in and out when it's not the most ideal time for Marnie and Marnie's got to cover up this magic, which which they do. They sort of do. But I feel like it was a little bit too much having her do a whole science experiment conjuring a parrot and then Marnie's trying to cover that up um and it's a little too coincidental that of course Marnie's in the first class with her what I really don't like more than anything else is the stupid bag that she's got following around that's like supposed to be her pet I feel like it completely dumbs down Aggie's character oh no I think it's great I because they always give her a fun bag in the first movie, she had what I had sort of characterized as a cross between a dog and the footstool and the bag from Mary Poppins in the first movie. Oh, I forgot about that. So they always give her a whimsical bag. This one's just very violent because it's clearly an alligator bag, so it's got alligator tendencies and it eats things and it bites people. I can get down with that. But I like the fact that they continue the tradition of giving Aggie a fun bag. All right, I will give you that one. Right? Um, But, yeah, some of these teaching misses, like, I kind of understood why they gave her... Well, no, I don't understand how she even got the job. But um, I can understand why she would sort of fit in in science because she could use her magic to bail her out of the fact that she probably doesn't know what she's doing. Then they give her a job as a history teacher, and that's a total miss. And then she's teaching phys ed. Like, none of this makes any sort of sense. I understand that we get it fleshed out later that Flanagan's got a thing for her, so he's just trying to keep her employed. But this entire thing is just a miss from literally from start to finish. I wish they would have followed through with the idea because we see that he does have the night ring. I wish they would have followed through with that more and made it so that he was trying to keep close tabs on her. And that's why he wanted her in the school. I think that would have made a better storyline. I think, like you pointed out, if she had been a crossing guard, a cafeteria attendant, something, you know, a secretary in the front office, she could have spun that to the council as I will be here with Marnie to keep an eye on things like exactly the, the whole thing could have just been set up. I'm not even going to say a little bit better. It could have been set up a lot better. Let's talk about this magical locker. Yes. This hideout that they go into. I actually really like that. So do I. I like the fact that she gives them a place to go, and I like the creature reveal. Because until they get into that room, you you kind of don't know what they are because we know... The people, the citizens of Halloween Town, are monsters, witches, warlocks, creatures, ogres, goblins, fairies, etc., and so forth. So you haven't, you haven't been able to put two and two together and wonder where do these average high school 
Main Street USA kids. Where where did they come from in Halloween Town? And then they find out that the what you're seeing is really just a costume, and they more or less unzip their skin. It's like an Edgar suit, and now there's a monster underneath. It's a great reveal. It's a great reveal. I love the set that they created. It's a very believable hangout, even though it kind of reminds you of one of the dorms at Harry Potter. I think that still works. What's a really big miss for me, though, is what happened to Luke? How is he not one of these kids? Because they've had a developing relationship between him and Marnie. He's helped her out. You kind of get the feeling that they're the same age. So why wouldn't he be the first person participating in this program? And they're progressive relationship or the way that their relationship progresses I should say in the second movie is as I pointed out the best thing about the second movie so the fact that they just let it go is a miss and and does not make any sort of sense to me well I think that has to do with making this a coming-of-age movie, and I feel like maybe they kind of wrote a trap for themselves by trying to give Marnie this love interest. Yeah. And as much as I enjoy Finn Whitrock and everything that he does, I think I would have preferred, because we did see this storyline already in the second one where Marnie falls for a boy who, in actuality, can't be trusted because it was Cal, Calabar's son. So they kind of start planting those seeds again. Yeah. And Aggie believes that he's part of the Knights, which he's actually not. Um, But to me, I would have rather sacrificed that character in that storyline and had Marnie pursue a relationship with Luke because isn't that what she's trying to prove? Wouldn't that have made a stronger ending where she falls for someone that doesn't look like her, someone who is a part of Halloween Town, and what better bridge of the two worlds than if they got together? I completely agree. And I I had hoped that's where this was going to go when we saw what was happening in the second movie. But instead, they do focus on this relationship with Dandy. And I, <laughs> I think that if the whole Luke thing didn't happen in the second movie, I think I would have liked this storyline a lot more. I didn't dislike it, but it was distracting knowing that the Luke thing was in the back of my mind because you pointed out before, they insert doubt with him right away. Um, and you're predisposed to thinking that this is happening again because it happened with Cal in the last movie. Turns out, you know, he he doesn't have ill intentions, but I love the awkwardness between the two of them. I lo- it's it's so real. It feels so real. It feels so authentic. You know, sometimes you get these coming of age movies where it's almost too perfect. Or you look at something and go, yeah, okay, well, it wouldn't actually happen that way because everybody's been on that awkward first date as like a 15, 16-year-old kid. They actually play it out in this movie, and I thought it was so well done. The most awkward moment for me is when he finally asks her out, and he just says Saturday, but not when, and then shows up at her house, but she's running off again. I legitimately feel bad for him. Yeah. Um... It's, you could tell he's in over his head. He's probably never done it before. Um, But I 
would be honest with you, if I were Marnie, I would have thought the same thing Saturday night, not Saturday at presumably 11 or 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Let's talk about this mall scene, because this is where Marnie goes when Dandy shows up for the date. And there's a lot that I think works here, and there's a lot that I think... Well, no, not not a lot. There's just one thing in particular that I think fails this scene terribly. Let's talk about what I think works, and then maybe we can do a... a point counterpoint here because I'm interested in your take I really like the fact that Marnie is trying to give them the true high school experience Mm -hmm. I like her outfit in this by the way with the orange and black totally suits her I love that they're really dressing her the part for the season I like it because for the rest of this movie they tried to make her look like Britney Spears and that annoyed me So, again, on brand. I like the fact that they get in over their heads and they're just running around looking at everything and she has the throwaway throwaway line of, well, monster a human, a teenager's a teenager. I like the fact that um, Ethan has a run-in with some of the smart aleck kids from school that call people freaks on Halloween and he takes it personally. I like all of this. What I don't like... And what makes no sense, you have a knight in full garb with a weapon walking around a public place and nobody seems to bat an eye. This would make sense if this was on Halloween. How does nobody notice this knight is walking around a a mall with a dagger? I think that's because they don't reveal him right away but like you should know because you're getting the pov and you keep seeing the chainmail glove right so even though it's it's almost like a jaws thing like you know the presence is there but they just haven't fully revealed him yet but you are right it's not halloween day this should stand out like a sore thumb yeah um don't like that i don't necessarily like the whole intro and setup of this scene because they do the music montage and they're pulling the clothes out and nothing screams to me more than right at this moment we're trying to grow with our audience um but they do pay off on it because of all of the other things that take place in the scene and as kevin smith has taught us the mall is a melting pot for all of the people that you go to high school yes. with. So I believe that they ran into the bullies. I believe that Dandy did follow her there. I, I mean, part of it was probably following her. Part of it was probably that he was going to be there anyway. And I even like that Dylan tagged along because that is a high school thing to do. And he's starting to develop a little bit of a crush on one of the exchange students. from Yeah, Halloween Natalie. Yeah. Natalie, yes, who is actually a troll. Um, and I mean that in the nicest possible way she's She's an adorable troll she's literally a troll um so yeah they they do bring it full circle just because you've got all the archetypes running into each other despite how cheesy the top of the scene is yeah let's talk about the dylan thing for a second here um dylan what is wrong with you um he he 
failed miserably in his romantic pursuits in Halloween Town 2, and here he has somebody that actually does like him, and, I mean, he gets so upset that she is a troll. Are you? I mean, am I to understand that he did not know she was in this exchange program? Or did he know that she was in this exchange program and just thought maybe he got lucky with the human in the exchange program? And what he says to her is, I, it, it is so offensive and it's so hurtful what he does say to her. Well, she gives it right back to him. And he deserves it. He does. He's deserved it for three movies and he finally gets it. <laughs> yeah, huge swing and a miss here for me, especially because Dylan has been the most reluctant Cromwell to embrace his powers because he does have them. We've established that over two films. He does manage to use them. So again, this is where you could have bridged the two worlds with a budding relationship. And if you weren't going to do it with Marnie, I think Dylan's an even better candidate because he has been fighting everything about this. So to make him fall for her and make him be the one to step out of the comfort zone and say, you know what? I don't care what world she's from. I want to be with her. Instead, it's a total 180 to have him say that he is judging her based upon her looks and he doesn't want to pursue anything with her because of that. Yeah. I love that they have his glasses fog up when they're it's in the hysterical. arcade. So much of this is so well done and it's just a total letdown with how he conducts himself after the fact. I want to point something out. Um, we've talked about Dylan We've talked about Marnie. We've talked about Aggie. We've talked about Gwen a little bit. We'll talk about her more uh, as we get towards the end of our review because she really does more at the end than she does in the beginning. One name you are not going to hear us mention at all, and it's a huge problem, is Sophie. Yes, which of her two lines would you like to talk about? It's literally two lines. I mean, the most the most connection that they kind of have between her and the rest of the franchise is that the chocolate chip cookies are on the table at the beginning of the movie, and that connects you back to the first Halloween Town film, but otherwise, she's kind of just laying around on the couch. That's a problem because Sophie was one of the best characters in the first movie. She's one of the best characters in the second movie. There is no reason why Sophie could not be included more in this movie. When you have a film based on a family and a structured family, you can't take one of the best parts out and ignore it completely, and that's what they did here. Well, not only that, every single time she has helped Marnie defeat the villain. So especially now when Marnie's got this huge undertaking of merging these worlds, where is... You know, where is that? Where is that relationship? Where is Sophie coming to her side? And, and where is that Cromwell magic that they've been talking about for two films? Right. Big, big mistake. Especially because at one point the magic is taken away. Wouldn't it have been great if Marnie, Gwen and Aggie lost it, but somehow Sophie was the one to still have it? because maybe she wasn't part of the bet. Maybe they didn't know that she was magical. Yeah. And maybe she could have been the one to step in and save the day. Yeah. But instead, 
she just doesn't get off the couch. Especially, too, with what ends up happening with Gwen. I do like that they bought her anti-witch, anti-magic stance full circle because she is the one who saved the day, and that was pretty unexpected. Yeah, when but she goes and gets Cassie. You could have had Sophie do that, though. I wouldn't have cared if Gwen took the back seat and didn't have a lot of lines because, really... If all she's going to do is bicker with Aggie, we've seen that. So if you're going to kill off an entire storyline, that's the one to leave behind. Yeah, I agree. Um, Moving on out of this mall scene here, I want to talk about the twist. I want to talk about the reveal. When you see that it is, in fact, Flanagan that is the knight and that it's Dalloway pulling the strings... I thought this was a really good twist. You talked about it a little bit when we started breaking down the film um, and how they planted it in the very beginning when she goes to the Halloween Town Council, but you get the full circle moment here, and I thought it was really, really good. Because I, I, li- I like the twist with Calabar in the first movie. You can see it coming a little bit, but I really like it. You don't get much of a twist with Cal in the second movie because they introduce it right away. Mm-hmm. So for this to get dragged on a little bit more, kind of follow the Calabar formula uh, formula a little bit where you, they try to rock you into a false sense of security with certain people and then an hour into the movie, they flip the script on you. I thought this was well done. I agree with that. What I sort of wish they had played with in this scene a little bit more was this haunted house Um, because I I like that that was the exchange student contribution. And I do like, we, we kind of skipped over this before. I like that Marnie forces them to get involved just based on their talents and personality traits. I think that's cool. So I like that they bring it full circle, but they make a wax museum again. Why not? pose as yourselves in the haunted house and when everybody says what a cool haunted house it is and how great it was and maybe they are a little bit scared why not reveal your true self or if they're still in there when they reveal the villain why not make him go through the haunted house? i just feel like they could have had so much more fun with the idea of a haunted house and not knowing what's real and what's fake yeah i love almost everything about this haunted house I agree with everything that you just said. Um, I thought it was a, I thought it was funny that they took the time to just kind of show people like, no, this is how monsters really behave in a haunted house because we have real lives just like you. And of course, they have no idea that that's not what people want to see. They want to see a monster having a tea party. They don't want to see a monster having a tea party. They want to see the real thing. Um, but as they're constructing it, you have Dylan wearing protective goggles and a hard hat. And I think that's so on brand and on perfect for his character. What I can't get past is that Marnie literally makes this thing appear out of nowhere. And other than Dandy, nobody bats an eye that a haunted house sprung up out of nowhere. Right. And because she bothered to do such an elaborate setup, I thought the haunted house was going to play a much bigger role in capturing the villain. Right. And it doesn't really play into it at all. No, all it does is go back to this this ongoing thing with her having to work on her construction skills with magic. Yeah. 
And that never comes full circle either. No, it's not as if you see that as she's leveling up, because I think she said she was level two in her training, that she's still finding it difficult to do certain things. And when it finally comes time to defeat the villain at the end of the movie, Dalloway, that she's finally able to harness some sort of power to do it. I know he does take the power from them, but there's no there's no payoff for this entire thing. Right. Like she said that she can do floors for days, but walls are her problem. If she had put four walls around him or just even just some sort of a cage, that would have brought it all together. Yeah. The other thing that I mentioned, well, I mentioned there were a couple of things I didn't like about it. Um, this whole carnival and haunted house thing. And this is going to sound kind of (laughs) dumb. I don't like that. I like the carnival is sort of how this is explainable, but I don't like the fact that I like this carnival set more than I like the set of Halloween town in Halloween town too. Does that make sense? It does. It does, because they totally squandered that set in, in Halloween Town 2. And I think this set is great. I honestly wasn't even paying that much attention because the CGI is so miserably bad. It got it's, worse. I don't know how... It, it e- got worse in this film. Yeah, I mean, I have often defended some of the CGI in these movies saying, well, it was 1998 and it was low budget. Well, okay, it's not 1998 anymore. And they're pumping more money into it. And, I mean, certainly with the cast, I think you can sit there and say, well, we know where a lot of that money went, but this was supposed to be the epic conclusion. And, yeah, this is some of the worst CGI we have seen in any of them. In fact, it's probably the most egregious because it was six years past the first movie, six years further into the development of good special effects and... I don't know if I mentioned this before. This is supposed to be the epic conclusion of Halloween Town, which was a very successful franchise for the Disney Channel. So how they miss on that is something I don't quite understand. And yeah, it's really, really not good. Um, You mentioned before, you have this full circle moment with Gwen and you think, yes, it could have been better if Sophie were the one to have saved Cassie but I do like the fact that we finally cash in on Gwen Gwen finally does something to redeem herself or be included in this family because even though she's the matriarch really for all intents and purposes of the Pipers slash Cromwells she doesn't do anything I mean she really doesn't no, because the last in the last film, her whole storyline was she had a love interest that didn't work out because he was actually not a real person. Um, here, you start to see her embrace it a little bit more with the hot chocolate scene. And I do like it's a good scene between mother and daughter because it was lacking. You hadn't seen it in this in this right. franchise yet. And Marnie is sort of at odds with Aggie at this point. So now she's sort of confiding in her mother. It's it's a great little scene. And then, yes, you do get the payoff on that scene and and her character arc over the three movies. Yeah, I think this was a proper conclusion for her. Um. Do you have anything else on this movie before we give our final say? Uh, 
just that I want to hit on the music for a oh, second yes, because yes, yes. we said it in the last one that they were really trying to capitalize on those boy band hits here you have like the female pop star that they're trying to capitalize on and I don't want to like it as much as I do but I actually really like the cover of Let's Get Together which Haley Mills sang in The Parent Trap and they made it they I mean it's a sugar-coated pop song but I like it a lot actually yeah so do I because uh, and, and I'm sure for some people they didn't like it for this exact reason it doesn't sound like something from the early 2000s this sounds like something from the early 90s right and I absolutely love uh, love it. At the time, people may have criticized it. Today, they'd call it chic. Um, <laughs> we talked about how you f- have a proper character arc for uh, Gwen. Seeing as this was supposed to be the end of the saga, does everybody have a proper character arc? Does everybody have a proper conclusion? Which I think ties into our final review of the film. Let's live in a world where Return to Halloween Town is never shot because it wasn't supposed to be on its own. What's your final review of the movie, and does it tie up the series? I think my my thoughts on the film are pretty crystal clear. Uh, but for the sake of my final synopsis... Uh, I think this is probably the worst out of the three of them. By the time we've gotten to this point, I actually, for as much flaw as I find with the story, over three movies, I've started to just embrace it for what it is. I've really started to like the characters, but there is so much wrong here story-wise. Where I thought it was going to convert me over the third film, it didn't happen. And that is because these characters that I have really started to like did not come full circle for me. You lost an entire character in Sophie. And to me, if you really wanted to grow with the audience, you that's where you really missed your biggest opportunity because she's growing up too. You still have, you know, the kids that have grown up with this that are Marnie's age, but there are also really young kids that are four years old that don't really have anything to grow with. And you lost their, their entire relationship really, which was a huge part of the first two. Um, I think Dylan comes full circle as far as a high school aged boy. Uh, but not as far as being part warlock because we don't not only do we not see him use magic in this one where he started to in the first two he sleeps on the ceiling one night as funny as that is where Marnie does sort of use her her powers like Sabrina the teenage witch and she leaves him out to dry up there that's the most magic that he's involved with um Gwen yes I think absolutely comes full circle Aggie, I feel like they dumbed down a little bit too much. Um, So that leaves us with Marnie. Um, I think her story arc works. Um, I think the love interest works. I think you needed to do it somewhere, although it should have been Luke. Um, But where I think the biggest fail here as far as letting down the franchise and the character 
is that we don't see the final push of her mastering her powers. And if this was supposed to be the last film, that's what it should have focused on. I think if you wanted to do the high school thing, you still could have done this exchange program or maybe because she is so powerful and she created the portal, maybe you make the exception and she doesn't have to wait until high school to complete her training. I think that would have caused a better conflict with Gwen if she didn't finish out her regular schooling and went to do her year with Aggie. And maybe there is a bit more of a push and pull instead of this exchange student program, as much as that works for the character, I would have rather seen a push and pull of her being caught between her senior year of high school and finishing her training and trying to handle both. So for me, the movie doesn't land on its own and it certainly doesn't land as the last piece of the franchise. I agree with basically everything that you just said um, in terms of the characters. Um, I think, yes, you lost Sophie, big problem. I think Dylan... You, you see Dylan become a teenage boy, but yes, nothing else passed there. Gwen, yes. Aggie, sort of just Aggie. And yeah, I would have liked to have seen Marnie finish her training. I do think that Marnie does get um, a full circle moment. I think that she does get a character arc from a coming of age perspective because she starts thinking that Cal is crushing on her because he likes her in the second movie, and obviously she's heartbroken when she finds out that he's got an ulterior motive. In this case, she doesn't really trust Dandy because she's got it in her head because of Aggie that he has caused these problems. Turns out, no, he really does just like her, and he's a bumbling fool like most 16-year-old boys are. So I like the fact that she gets that moment, and that in spite of the fact that she's a witch... And she wants to be. She does have that moment of normalcy where she she can be a high school kid. Because we've seen her for two movies be everything but. We've seen her do everything but be a human. And I know that that was sort of the purpose of the first movie was to show that you there's something more to you than you than you think. Um, so for that, it makes sense. But yes, not seeing the training play out was a problem. This movie by of the three of them by far is the less uh, is the least charming. I don't think that's bad per se. It's just very different in spite of the fact that even the second movie is so dark compared to the first and the third. Um, uh, where I disagree with you is I think that this is better than Halloween Town 2 overall. Because I felt that even though it played out better on screen than it did reading it for the show, the plot holes with the time jumping and time traveling was just almost too much to look past. Mm. I feel like a lot of the issues that I had with this movie were less about story and more about not recognizing the obvious, not recognizing that Aggie has the Beetlejuice moment, not recognizing the fact that a haunted house comes up out of nowhere, not not realizing that you've got this knight with a weapon in a mall. It's more that than it is story. However, while it's a better overall movie than the second one, this does not do one thing better 
than any one thing in the second movie. This is really like the sum is better than the parts. Yeah. I I don't think this movie in one aspect does anything better than the second other than for me be a less confusing story. Um so if I'm going to rank them you know, it's like Star Wars, the original trilogy. If I'm going to rank them, I would have to say one, three, two. It seems like you're saying one, two, three. If you're ranking these Halloween Town movies. I mean, th- this one is so fresh. I-, I kind of admittedly forgot how many issues there are with that time jumping. Um it's really a toss-up because, I mean, my bigger issue... Actually, no. I will stand by one, two, three in order because my biggest issue was with the time jumping in the last one. That was an issue with one act. I think I've argued every plot point in this film. Right. And for me, it just falls apart from the jump. Sure. And like even like some of the production pieces in this movie we talked about the bad special effects and the bad masks um and some of the bad makeup but like there's a scene where gwen is in the kitchen the first day of school and she's going through the cabinets and it's supposed to be frosted glass and it's clear that they repurposed another set that didn't have frosted glass as she goes and closes a cabinet the the plastic frosted glass that they had slapped up literally comes off the cabinet and you can see the tape underneath. Like there are just certain things that happen in this movie that I, that, that didn't happen in the others yet. Somehow I think it is the second best movie in the (laughs) franchise. Yikes. But I don't know that that's, that's not a criticism of the whole franchise so much as it is a criticism of the second movie. Um, In conclusion, and it's so weird doing this because we have another movie to discuss, but I feel like it's going to be so vastly different. So I guess I have to ask you then, what is your full opinion of Halloween Town as a trilogy? I mean, it seems like parts were growing on you, but not yet, not entirely. Okay, it was. It, it grew on me and this one lost me. What's the better okay okay i'm gonna let's play this game um because in spite of some of the issues i still love halloween town as a franchise looking back on some of the other decoms that we've discussed and we have not discussed descendants which you guys all think is great we've not really seen it but we'll get to it eventually so this is really just as this stands today Okay. DCOM franchises that we have discussed. High School Musical, Teen Beach, and Halloween Town. Now, Teen Beach is interesting because there's only two of them. But in terms of an entire franchise, where do you rank this? What, What would be your DCOM rank in terms of franchise right now? And it's funny as I'm thinking about it, all three of these have such awesomely bad second films, despite the Teen Beach does not have a third. Yeah. The second one is always the worst. Uh, 
Teen Beach is my favorite, even though the way the second one ended was a massive letdown. That's that's still that's Sparkle the top. Rattly do. Oh God. I think yeah, the that, first that, one is still good enough to carry it, and I like Mac and Brady so much. Yes, they're they're like my fave couple. Layla I and like Tanner. them better oh. than Troy and uh, Gabriella. Um, yeah, that's that's the best for me than High School Musical than this. And Debbie Reynolds couldn't even save that for me. I, hmm, I think I'd have to swap this in High School Musical only because this. I didn't hate the second movie in this franchise. I thought it was okay. I thought it was fine. Um, Compared to the other two movies, it is by far the one that falls dead last for me. But um, between this and High School Musical, this High School Musical 2 is so bad, it's so stupid, that I can't help but not be able to look past that as being the far worse sequel compared to this. I mean, if we're going on sequels that could ruin a franchise, for all intents and purposes, I should put Teen Beach at the bottom of my list. Right. But the thing is, I love that movie, the first one. I love it so much. It carries the weight of the it second carries, one. It carries... The way that there's no Toy Story 4, I live in a world where there's no Teen Beach 2. Mm-hmm. For me, Team Beach is the best decom I have personally ever seen. So I think it has to be Team Beach is number one. It's in its own. It's in its own class. That a class onto itself. Agreed. I think based on the quality of the sequels alone, this is better than High School Musical for me. For me. Let me put it to you this way. Yes. Sure. Go for it. I like the franchise overall better than I like Don't Look Under the Bed, but I think Don't Look Under the Bed is actually a better movie than the third one here. I think you're right. And Don't Look Under the Bed was a movie we, we ran, uh, landed on in a roulette. We reviewed it a couple of months ago. That's a movie that the more I watch it, the better it gets. And I know, I know U.S. franchise specifically, but I ripped that one apart too. So as far as just me personally and where these lay out in my mind, that that's how it ranks for me. We're that's interested. how much I dislike the third one. Yeah, what we're interested in your say, you can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. What do you think of Halloween Town High? Where does the Halloween Town franchise rank amongst the other franchises that have come out on the Disney Channel. You can let us know there. News of the Week is coming up, but first, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, guys, my name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie, and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four-night Disney cruise ship, and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress-free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks, like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake, because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. Don't argue with the man in his Mickey bars. Get in touch with me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Yeah, because people that may want to argue vehemently about their favorite DCOMs could do so uh, at our 
meetup that we're going to have on uh, Sunday, October 25th. Coming up soon. Coming up. Yeah, it's coming up real soon. We're excited for it. Dockside Margaritas at Disney Springs, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Come out and socially distant. Have a socially distant drink with Monoreal Radio, and you can come and talk movies and let us know if we're way off base with uh, Halloween Town. News this week, though. Um, Lots of it. Lots of it. And really, all of it pertaining uh, to, or pertaining, I should say, to Disney+. Plus. Um, I don't need to rehash what a crap year 2020 has been and the lingering effects that this is going to have because let's be real, on January 1, 2021, nobody's going to snap their fingers and this all goes away. Um, I'm wondering when people are going to start to realize that. Probably on January 1. No, never. Because you get every every year you get the idiot that goes, New Year. This is my year. Yeah, this is my year. New year, new me. It was supposed to be John Belushi's year once, too. And guess what? (laughs) Didn't see the end of it. Okay? So (laughs) it's great that you think it's going to be your year, but sometimes the universe has other plans. I I applaud your optimism, but (laughs) let's get real here. Um, And and look no further than what we're going to talk about here. I mean, joking aside, Disney has come out basically this week and has said that they are going to start shifting focus on they're already existing franchises and getting things on Disney Plus, which has to make you wonder what does this mean for the film industry moving forward in 2021? So Bob Chapik was quoted as saying that managing content creation distinct from distribution will allow us to be more effective and nimble in making the content consumers want most delivered in the way that they prefer to consume it. Our creative teams will concentrate on what they do best, making world-class franchise-based content, while our newly centralized global distribution team will focus on delivering and monetizing that content in the most optimal way across all platforms. So... There's a lot of ways you can read this. Yeah. For me, I'm I'm terrified. Uh, from a business standpoint, I understand it. Basically, t- to me, it's saying that he's going to play, play, play to the hand, and they're going to use the existing franchise. They're going to stick with what they know. They're going to keep capitalizing on things like Star Wars and and sequels and remakes, and. That's what it's going to be for a while. And I get it. Why roll the dice on something that could potentially flop? Maleficent 2, looking at you. They're just going to keep feeding us what we like. And I get it. And I think that that is going to be the state of the industry for a while. However, what scares me is that you're basically saying you're going to be Disney Plus centric for the foreseeable future. And since Disney is usually the front runner when it comes to this kind of thing, that really makes me fear for the film industry as a whole because you're pretty much saying that you're not going to give theaters new theatrical releases. Yes, I I read that in this and I, I understand they've already got season two of The Mandalorian ready to go. They're supposed to be shooting the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Obviously, they were looking at the next phase of Marvel. They have WandaVision coming out. You've got the Eternals. They, they, there's a lot that's either in production or in post right now, so I get that. And that was all before the pandemic. Right. 
what I don't like here, what I read here, and I don't like to be speculative, but I'm going to be speculative, because reading the tea leaves, I'm I'm hearing Bob Chapik tell me that Disney Plus is going to do what they said they weren't going to do, but did it only one time for Mulan, but not mm-hmm. going to do it again, except we are going to do it again. And you're going to have to start paying for more premium content on Disney+. Plus. Now, this raises the question to me, when does the line get blurred? Where right. Where's the limit? Is it you're going to have to do it for a movie and just a movie in lieu of a theatrical release? What happens if you... Uh, what happens if you make a Mandalorian movie? What happens if you decide you're going to do the final epic season of The Mandalorian and do it in four two-hour episodes? Wh- where, where is the line drawn? Wh- what, is it, what is it you intend on doing to us, the consumer, when it comes to things that we are A, attached to, and B, believe we are getting as a part of a subscription service. Because I got news for you. I was ready to cancel Hulu, Amazon, Netflix. I was ready to get rid of all of them because we have Disney+. And listen, I'm not going to say we're canceling Disney+. We have this show. We canceled Disney+. We're up the river. And far be it from me. You know, I don't really ever criticize Disney very often. So uh, apologies if you don't want to hear me say this, but... There's just something about this that is very, very unsettling to me. And I feel like that great $6.99 price mm-hmm. point a month is going to be a thing of the past sooner rather than later because I don't know where the line gets drawn. No, and I get it. This is the year of the pivot. And if this is how they have to pivot, they just laid off 28,000 people. Uh, you know, if this is what's going to save the rest of the cast and that's going to save the studio in the future, I get it. But dismissing it as saying that this is how the consumers want it, don't put that on us because not everybody does. I can tell you I don't. And to your point, okay, so what are they going to do? Are they going to keep the price low and then hit us over the head for something that we really want just so we can see how it ends? Or are they going to raise the price altogether? Because now they're going to be pumping all of their content. Like, for example, they, they've already announced that they're going to give us Soul on December 25th. They haven't announced a price, pe- a price tag with it. No, but, I, think that, I think that's included for free. Right, but I'm saying you're giving us that one. So does that mean that you're going to charge us $30 for Jungle Cruise next year? I see what you to mean. To pay off The Rock and his salary I, yes. and what they sunk into that. So... I'm afraid there's going to be a lot of like this give and take now. And at right. that point, I'd almost rather you hit us $10 a month for it and then just keep feeding it to us for free instead right. of this premium nonsense. Because as I said before, what really frightens me is the precedent that this is going to set for the rest of the industry. We're going to see movie theaters close. Movie theaters are going to be for the foreseeable future, you're going to be able to go and and maybe see a movie that came out in the 80s. You know, they'll do a, re, a re-release. They'll put Ghostbusters back in. Right. But you're not going to get new Ghostbusters for a while. Not at least until March. And that's at the earliest. But 
I mean, listen, th- this is what it is. Unfortunately, it all trickles down to us. We're the ones people like us get affected as uh, you know on a consumer end and then you have the cast members that get affected on a financial and personal end you know listen th- at the end of the day it all it all trickles down to the little guy so unfortunately we're the ones whether you're a, a consumer or a prosumer you're you're going to bear the weight of this whole thing and i don't like that quote at all I just don't like what Chapek. I don't like what Chapek says most of the time, but I really don't like this quote at all. No, I feel I feel like it's very condescending. Yeah, and I think it. I think what this tells me is even if if you snapped your fingers tomorrow and made this whole thing go away, and listen, if it were up to me, I'd do it. Um, I am Iron Man, and I'd have the <laughs> snapping. Um, I think if we did that, I think they'd still go through with this plan. That's and that's that's what's unsettling to me. I think maybe not next year because, you know, different time, different place. They would have had Disney 50 and they probably could have gotten by on that for a while. But, yeah, I I think eventually they would have pulled the bait and switch. Maybe not Iger, but I'm not putting it past Chapik. Yeah. Um, But we want to know what you guys have to say about this Chapik news, this Chapik quote. Uh what do you think of Bob Chapik in general? I know that's a mixed bag. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. Email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to check out monorealradio.com, where you can listen to every episode of the show. You can, of course, subscribe to us and rate and review on your podcast platform of choice. We always love to hear from you. Uh, follow us on that social media. Again, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Monoreal Radio, also on TikTok as well. We will be back next week because in spite of the fact that we had our kind of epic-ish conclusion, oh, God. we are making a return to Halloween Town in what has to be the most controversial of the four films. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.